Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Gigongo and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite to celebrate 25 years of WI Skate with the man behind the site, Josh Ellis. Before Instagram and YouTube, it was hard to put skateboarding on the internet. Josh Ellis figured it all out, and WI Skate became one of the most popular skate websites at the turn of the century. Also, kind of maybe predicted the future of the skate internet. So Josh, what compelled you to start a skate website? I don't think there can be any one thing that I would claim made me start it. It was more just, you know, my buddies are skating. I have a camera. Let's do it. There was no factor that led me to say, hey, I'm going to start a local skateboarding website. It was it was just there. Josh, Jason here. What was the extent of your internet use in the pre-broadband era? Was it AOL or uh, BBSs or what were you into at that time? OG, like BBSs. I would play this. What the hell was it called? Like Legend of the Dragon's Lair or something like that. It was an early BBS role-playing game. I'm talking I was like 10 years old at the time. And then from there... It was like AOL, but I thought I was a cool AOL hacker. So I had like fake accounts and all that kind of crap. It was some funny shit, but, and then that just kind of evolved into the other early web design stuff, creating the skate websites. The first website I made was for my friend's high school punk band. And then WI Skate came like a year or two after that. First of all, um, that's amazing. Uh, were you on, was it alt, was it alt.skate.net or alt.skateboarding.net? I probably looked at it a little bit. You're talking about like news groups, right? Exactly. I probably looked at it because in the AOL days, you could go on news groups too. Yep. And I, I must have looked at it a little. You know, it's so long ago, it's hard to remember exactly. But oh, yeah. I, I'm going to say that, yes. Yeah, that was what... I mean, that's now well over 25 years ago. Um, and yet for me, in my experience, being on those message boards and on bulletin boards in the mid-1990s, that's how I started collecting skate videos because someone would say, I have a couple of videos, send me a blank tape and I'll W, X, and Y. And that's how I got most of the world videos. I'm talking about like the full suite, World Blind 101, all the Plan Bs, long before they started being reissued and wow. long yeah. after they had um, fallen out of print because... You know, it was difficult to go and find older videos unless there was a shop near you that happened to have stuff in stock. So I guess the, another question I have for you, Josh, is what do you think is your fondest memory of the pre-broadband internet and also like the pre-social media era skate internet? Man, that's, that's a tough one. Pre-broadband internet, it was the Wild West. You could do anything. There was no rules. You know, I was just out there pirating Wolfenstein 3D and all that crap. And then on the bulletin boards, you could say anything, do anything. There was no laws, no rules. Anything went. Skating-wise, it came a little later. You know, I started skating when I was about 14 years old. So it would just be like chatting, like, who can do the coolest kickflip? And then the more serious stuff came. I was a little older. It was good times, though. And then extending the question out to Templeton and to Jason, what were some of your favorite memories of first, like, pre-broadband internet and then, like, pre-social media internet, skateboarding or non-skateboarding? Oh, God. Well, yeah. I mean, Usenet, I used to fuck with uh, all thought skateboard all the time. Like, that's that's how I met our, our friend Lucas, Lucas, Lucas Weisenthal. Shout out, Lucas. And... 
I like I fucking went up to Montreal, skated the uh, that park, the Lataz. Had a fucking blast, dude. That was awesome. But yeah, all top skateboard was a thing. And I'll never forget like the first time I got a file transfer on the internet. I think it was via IRC. I can't remember the IR I like I, I know I was on IRC, but I can't remember how the fuck it worked. Anyway, it was some KMD song and someone like transfers me via IRC. So that was crazy. That kind of opened up the whole new world. I think for some of our younger listeners, I don't think y'all realize how much of a feat some of the stuff that we're talking about was. First of all, Jason, the fact that you went up to Montreal to hang out with Lucas, shout out the homie. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for us to, to link in real life, knowing each other off of Twitter, on Instagram. At least there's photos we can kind of see each other, things like that. But back then, it was like, was it that much of a leap of faith? To go and do that, to go hang out in Montreal with the homies. I guess, yeah. I mean, I didn't really give a fuck. People are like that. I don't know. See, back then, if you like met people or even talked to people off the internet, like that was crazy. You know, you're like in, you're like an insane person. Like it's, it's even like, especially like going on a date or like you know, meeting a girl off of there. Like oh, that's yeah. you're gonna get abducted. In, yeah, you're gonna get abducted. It's like I mean, you might get abducted now, but. Yeah, it's like it was like totally beyond anything. It's just like so few people used it too. It seemed yeah. like if they were on there, they were down. Like you could trust them though, because yeah. it wasn't just some random. I mean, there was random weirdos, but if you're talking to some random person, I think you can trust they say who they were back then. It was a safer space. I guess so, because I guess there was there was significantly less internet usage, and so clearly somebody has taken the time to learn how to navigate this space. So it's somebody who's important. And actually this subject is covered at length in a book by, it's the homegirl who used to be in the band Yacht that was on DFA. It's called Broadband. It's called the Women's History of the Internet. And it talks a lot about the role that uh, women played, not only as developers and designers in this early era of uh, the pre, you know, this pre-broadband internet you know, time in the eighties and nineties, but also the fact that how many women connected with each other via these message boards, via bulletin boards. Templeton, what about you? Like, What was your experience like pre-broadband? I mean, pre-broadband, like the internet kind of sucked for me. Like, I, I guess I'm kind of like a late adopter. Like, you know, I was downloading MP3s for, you know, three or four hours to get one MP3. So pre-broadband, that shit kind of sucked. And then- I love that shit. I think it was better. You had to put your work in. You didn't get instant gratification. You know, I remember going on Napster and I'm like, hey, I want this album. And you'd sit there and download each song individually until you completed the album. And it would take like two hours to do it. And now it's like, just load it up on Spotify. It's done. Yeah, you got a full radio station in your pocket. It made yeah, you, there is something it made you stronger. About, yeah, you, you would put value on those MP3s. You're like, fuck, I, I worked really hard to get this album. Whereas now, yeah, at, at your fingertips, everything. You had to type in all the titles for the songs yourself. Right. You had, you had to do work. Yeah. And like, I mean, one, once broadband hit, though, that was, I was fully addicted and just, yeah, just looking at skate shit all day at my boring ass office job. That was, that was the best, you know, and that kind of set me on a path to where I am today, I think. But back to WI Skate, Josh, there wasn't really like a blueprint. Like you, you like made this up yourself, you know, like there weren't skate sites before like what what inspired the design and the content like you know because so you're basically on, like a like a managing editor or like executive editor of a skateboard magazine kind of i mean i was i was like 19 years old so 
I was just inspired. I was into downloading uh, these like blue light Nintendo games. And mm -hmm. I remember I liked the way this one website looked. So I'm like, hey, that looks nice. I'll make my website look like this and so on. And then for content back then, it was before blogs really existed. There was no term blog. And there's a thing called EN, entertainment and news sites that would just have wacky links and, you know, weird content. And that really inspired me to have stuff like that on the website too. So it wasn't just skating. I would have, you know, goofy links to weirdos, personal websites, things like that. Did you cover, uh, you're based in Milwaukee, correct? Correct. Did your site cover just Milwaukee or like the whole Eastern Wisconsin or like what was your purview geographically? It was mostly Milwaukee, but then we knew, we knew a bunch of guys in Madison and then, you know, Chicago crept in and I would try to include people everywhere in the state. I'd make a post saying, Hey, everyone in Wisconsin, send your videos, send your photos. And sometimes they did, but it, it didn't happen that often. I think even like way back, people would send me VHS tapes. Right. But then at the same time, I'd always be getting emails like, you know, you call this site Wisconsin Skate, but you don't have anyone from Eclair on here. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I asked people to send me stuff. No one sends anything. Trust me, I tried. And then, you know, that went away eventually. And it was just the Milwaukee scene. So, Josh, I spent a summer in Milwaukee, summer of 2000, before my freshman year of college. I was working for my uncle. And I had a great time there, and I was so surprised at how awesome the skating was. Can you tell some of our listeners who've never been to your glorious state why summers in Milwaukee and summers in Wisconsin are so dope, but especially for skateboarding? I mean, we're in the north, so you got to take what you can get. Normally, the, the winter's painful. You're stuck indoors, so when it starts getting warm out, you're just out there as much as you can, hanging out with the homies and just trying to skate, do your thing. It feels good. But at the same time, I feel like I would not like to live somewhere that didn't have a winter. You need the pain to have the pleasure. Along those lines, what was the Milwaukee scene like, like in the mid to late 90s? Like, what were the main spots and all that shit? Um, I'm from the suburbs. So in the 90s, I wasn't down. I didn't know any of those dudes like Al Partman and Sam Hitz and those guys. Like, I met them later, not Al so much. I know Sam a little, but I came around maybe like 1999 is when I started meeting the guys that were actually from Milwaukee, skating in Milwaukee, living in Milwaukee. So I could talk about that a little bit. It was just kind of like a close knit scene of guys that all lived on the east side of Milwaukee. And a lot of guys actually lived in the same building. Pat Forrester and Bill Kashner, who owns Cream City Skate Park lived together. Everyone was real close-knit, got along well. I mean, there's some beefing, but I don't know. It was a nice scene, I think. Yeah, I saw this, this one video on your site about this spot called the Fountain Spot, which looked insane. Like, it looked just like the uh, the Love Park Fountain. Could you talk a little bit about, like, what the deal was with that spot? Yeah, the funny thing is, all right, I love that spot. I'll say it straight up. It's long gone. It it was removed probably in 99 or 2000. But if you talk to any of the older guys, everyone claims they hated that spot. They were like, dude, you got to skate in a circle. The ground sucked. Uh, most of the summer, it was filled with water as well. So you only got to skate it in the fall and in the winter time. 
I loved it. I don't know. I thought it was a great spot. And it's like visually interesting. The footage looks really cool. You must have found, I think I posted a video like greatest hits from the fountains or something like that. Yeah, something like that. It's like rare. Most people who skate in Milwaukee now don't never even knew that a spot even existed. Like I said, it's long gone. It was a good one though. So because WI Skate was one of the first places on the internet that you could see skateboarding, you were getting like tons of traffic, people from all over the world coming to see what's going on in Wisconsin. Did the guys, like the, the skaters, did they know that they were like reaching this global audience? And like, how did they feel about that? Or that's like, good... did you even realize the reach that you were having? That's a tough one to answer because at the time, like I realized it was kind of popular, but I don't think we knew. Like I would get emails from time to time saying, you know, like, hey, this is Yaki from Finland. We love your site here in Finland, things like that. But, and I told my friends, but I don't think it really dawned on us that it was sort of special at the time. We kind of just were living it, I guess. We didn't know. That's pretty awesome. Did yeah, you I, did you do anything to kind of promote the site or anything like that? Or, you know, how do you think people found out about it? That's one of my favorite stories. So you got to go back to early internet and the video clips, you didn't just click on them and they played in your browser. You would have to download the file to your computer, find it, load it up in the video player, start watching it. So I threw a little watermark on there that said wiskate.com and the file just lived on people's computers. And then early file sharing sites like Kaza and LimeWire came along and people shared those files. So they all these random video clips would pop up and people have told me like this guy from Sweden told me, Hey, I found WI skate cause I downloaded a clip off Kaza. So that was its own natural way of the site being spread. So you must've had some kind of inkling that the, that these clips would kind of have a life of their own outside of just the website, like to know, to put a watermark on it. I think I just did it cause back then people would steal your clips and just put them on their own website. So I put right. the watermark so people would know like, hey, this Pat Forster clip came from wiskate.com, not from Johnny Boy at GeoCities or whatever. Right. Which is kind of silly if you think about it, but yeah, GeoCities. GeoCities. Oh yeah. my God. You know, something I've been thinking about, Josh, and something we were talking about as we were warming up at the beginning of the show is legacy internet and legacy internet properties. Um, as somebody who's been doing WiSkate for a minute or and especially at that era where there was really no concept of strong visual aesthetics anywhere on the internet. Do you ever kind of miss how terrible those sites looked and functioned? Absolutely. They're amazing. I've recently looked up some like random piece of information and Google spit out a site that looked like a 90s site. And I was like, this is amazing. I wish websites still look like this. I think they're better. You know, I think like from an, like, an accessibility standpoint, they're not so great. I mean, like some of the GeoCity stuff, like the backgrounds that people would have on their blogs or whatever would be so awful. You think like, you know, anybody using a screen reader is going to have trouble navigating this site or anybody with any kind of like sensory or visual, you know, visual issues. And this is something that like kind of went into the next level in the broadband era and especially with MySpace and, you know, people learning to do, you know, just enough coding to freak it so that, you know, by the time you hit Tumblr, I mean, shit was all over the place. Yeah. But back to... They like, got freaking crazy. I know. <laughs> Again, like, 
but it's not the same as that that GeoCities era. But speaking about that 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 time, so speaking about things back in the day, um, you know, WI Skate is going to generate a lot of interest and obviously a decent amount of traffic. Number one, um, at its peak, what kind of traffic were you getting? And number two, what type of unexpected interactions were you getting on this site? Like more specifically, I've heard some things about. Tom Knox US, who used to ride for Sonic and I think was on Santa Cruz before, and then Simon Woodstock, who was also on Sonic and uh, actually knocked out or took down Sticky Fingers in a boxing match at the MTV Sports and Music Festival. Um, Traffic-wise, at the peak, I don't know, it was like 2,000, 3,000 unique visitors a day, which I think in 2023 internet isn't that big of a deal, but... I mean, I think back then for a skateboarding site, it was pretty good. There weren't that many to choose from, right? Right. Uh, and then to the Tom Knox thing, I had written an interview, or sorry, a review of the Sonic video. You guys remember Sonic Skateboards, of course? Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was, uh, so Kid the, er- the Kid Erickson, rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. He was tight. Rest in peace. Super tight. So the Sonic video, One Louder, it was on VHS. That's This is how old this is. I just wrote like, it wasn't even that mean of a review. It was just like, hey, this Tom Knox part, it's probably not as good as his older stuff. And, you know, I, I posted it, waited weeks, months, I don't remember. And then I get an email from Tom Knox. I It's so long, I can't quote it. I don't know exactly, but it was just like, if I find you, I'm going to kick your ass or something like that. And, you know, I, nice. I just ignored it because I'm like, this is crazy. I ignored it. And he sent another one later saying the same thing basically so i ignored that as well and then lo and behold like a couple months later simon woodstock same review said hey can you take me out of this review i don't want to be associated with skateboarding i don't want you to be able to google my name and find anything about skateboarding to do with me i i didn't remove it but it was that was a very very uh popular review maybe popular is not the right word it caused some some exciting moments I mean, back then, like skate, skate internet beef, when the internet was smaller, I mean, the news traveled about it far more significantly. I mean, people getting into comment wars or flame wars, as they used to be known back in the 90s. And so apparently Tom Knox US is an MMA fighter now. Yeah, that's why I said I was scared. Tom Knox, (laughs) if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I said your Sonic video part wasn't as good as your older parts. By the way, I have an idea, because you know who else is a mixed martial artist? Actually, he does more Thai boxing, Kane Gale. Oh, man. Yo, I think we need to put together, yo, Templeton, hear me out. Mostly skateboarding presents <laughs> on some Don King shit, <laughs> live in Vegas. Where's, you know, uh, where's you... Dana, Dana White? Can we get Dana White on the horn? Who would you have in the Tom Knox, Kane Gale face-off, though? I mean, like that would be like that would be like the main event. We just need like a couple lower card uh, fights, like... Doesn't Pat Chinita uh, do some kind of fighting? Boom. Pat Chinita, who else? Someone else. What's your name? Donta Hill. He used to ride for Baker. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, now rides for Max Allure. Yo, Don- okay. Oh, my God. Yo. Vegas next summer. I'm just saying. Know, is, uh, is, is Tom Knox more of a striker or a grappler? Because King Gale is obviously more of a striker because he has, like, the Muay Thai shit going. I don't know. It might be an interesting fight. You know, styles make fights, so... I mean, that, that could be great. You know, we find like an ill sponsor. Next thing you know, we all pull up, you know, to Caesar's Palace. The sponsor will be Sonic Skateboards. <laughs> You'll have to bring it back. <laughs> Can they even afford a limousine for all of us? No, they'd have, they'd have to find like a 
a storeroom full of the VHS tape and try to sell them. All right, we'll we'll pull up in a, at a Datsun two ten. How about there that? You go. There you go. <laughs> well, I got a I got a couple of super nerdy questions actually. Okay. Um, so when you first made the site, you were I have a really uh, rudimentary knowledge of web design, but I assume that when you first started making the site, you were typing the HTML code in manually. Yes. Yes. That's just like a, a text file. And then you'd load it in the browser to see what it looked like. There was oh. no, there was no visual editor. It's not like today where you go to square or something and like pick a template. It's like, you're literally got to write the HTML code, which I'm not trying to claim it's that difficult, but it was definitely a whole different procedure than it is today. And would you have to do that for every post? Like basically redesign the site almost instead yeah, of just like making a new blog post like we do now? Exactly. You would load up your text file and then, you know, say I want to insert my new video link here or whatever, type it in, upload the file and then look at it. Damn. And um, when did you start using a uh, like a content management system like WordPress or Blogger or something like that? It was like medium early, maybe like 2001 or so. It was called like Cute News. No one's heard of that. It's like predates all that WordPress. And then I started using WordPress, I don't know, 2008 maybe. I was late on that one. That's cool. Yeah, because that's just about the time when I get when LiveJournal came out. That was one of the first like blog sites where people started using that term even. Yeah. But yeah, that sounds about right. What year do you think that was like? 2002, 2003, probably. Okay. Shit, I was already doing it for like five years by then. Oh, That's it was crazy. Early. It was earlier than that. Live Journal came out, I want to say, in 1999. But Jason, you are correct. And like most people got on it and started rocking a Live Journal around 2002, 2003. Were any of you on Friendster, by the way? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Big time. RIP. And then, okay, we got to talk about. We got to talk about MySpace, if only because I think that was the social media platform whose presence I think is the most sorely missed. Because number one, from as a musician, as a music fan, um, people not only got signed from their presence on MySpace, but you could book tours, you could network, you could meet people. And for skateboarding, very similarly, a lot of people of our generation actually connected because you had a mix of, you know, there was the AV component in there. And also you could customize, you know, you could freak it so that your site looked a little bit different than everybody else's. And you know, you had your like, when you got onto the page, you'd have your music. Mine was uh, Fortune by the band Felt, uh, my really good friend Melissa back in New York. Hers was uh, Lucini by Camp Lowe. So Josh, I guess I, a question I have for you is like, you know, it's 2023, we're all living with HD cameras in our pockets. What do you think has been lost in this era where <sighs> you know, we have multiple social media platforms on our phones competing for attention with other apps and other devices i think we've lost any sense of it being special it's democratized and it i feel like a dick saying it that way but like it everyone can do it now there's no barrier to entry like there used to be where effort was required or you'd have to spend money to get into it now everyone has the ability to do it which is good in a way but bad in the way that it's just a sea of noise you can't focus on any one thing. So it definitely changed the paradigm, as they say. Yeah, I think that's right. Because, yeah, it's like I, I'm seeing the most incredible skateboarding every day, every time I look at my phone, and I'm just like, meh, whatever. Exactly. Whereas then, before, it, it was like, oh, here's here's somebody in Milwaukee doing a crooked grind on a ledge. This is awesome. 
Exactly. And for some for some reason, people cared. It was weird. It's like it was way more difficult to get anything out there, but people appreciated it and cared, whereas now it could be the craziest thing ever, and it's just like, whatever. I mean, that's a really scary thought um, with regards to the fact that there's amazing skateboarding that we're just kind of shrugging our shoulders at. And, you know, you like it and then you move on. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, today is John Cardiel's 50th birthday. And a lot of folks were reposting Cardiel parts on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever platform, or even, you know, amongst group chats. And I think about how somebody like Cardiel, all of his parts were an event. And, but especially for me, Sight Unseen is, is my favorite, uh, if only because he skates to Haunted and Nervous by Sizzla. And I was really getting into dance hall at the time. And something like... I thought we thought Cardio was Cardiel was cool, but that's something that clicked for me. But it feels weird, like really thinking about like, oh wow, like I'm not taking the time to really drink in all of this content that comes in. And the homeboy Tommy over at Jenkum wrote a really great article about being in the moment, being present in watching skate videos, about putting devices away, making it a point to watch things on your television, doesn't matter what the size is, and really turning watching skate videos back into uh, an event. And Josh, something that you had mentioned earlier that I think was really clever, you had a lot of foresight to do this, was watermark, was putting a watermark on your videos so that people knew their provenance, people knew where they came from. Because a challenging thing about a lot of repost accounts is that you have no idea who filmed what and people don't necessarily get credit. And we definitely know not getting paid. Yeah. And like going back to the Cardiel thing, all that footage, I mean, Cardiel isn't like Julian Stranger where there's only like, you know, eight clips. But every Cardio clip has so much value. Everyone remembers it. And, you know, a skater today, there's a few where their clips have that much value. And people are going to look back on it in 20 years. But I feel like a lot of it is going to be lost and it won't be appreciated like those special Cardio clips are today. Right. I mean, Tom Knox UK put out 20 minutes of footage this year, whereas, you know, Gino Iannucci probably hasn't put out 20 minutes of clips in his career. So like, yeah, the value of a Tom Knox clip just isn't quite as high. And yet people are getting tired of the phrase, I'd rather watch Gino push. How do you explain that? I mean, <laughs> this, I think he's, he's well past his prime at this point. I, I do have a weird Gino WI skate story. Oh, please. Let's hear it. I mean, it's not super interesting, but I used to go to demos and I'd film it to put it on the site and that, you know, the pro names that give you some extra traffic. So I'm at the skate park and this is an indoor skate park in Milwaukee. It's an old industrial building and it has a crow's nest way up. So I'm filming the girl demo and I filmed Gino do a cab over the pyramid. And then suddenly I see Rick Howard and Ty Evans down on the ground floor pointing at me and I give them a little wave and they come up and I'm, they're like, dude, you get that clip of Gino? And I'm like, and they're like, okay, can we have it? And I said, Sure, of course. And that clip is in the hot chocolate tour video. So somehow randomly I got a Gino clip in like a real girl chocolate video, which is super cool. Damn, that's sick. And then yeah. for some reason Ty thanked me in the end of uh fully flared. So you lucky a legend. Huh? I, I think that I, he would recycle the credits because I got filming credits in like super champion fun zone or something and like i had filmed some stuff in like yeah right and the chocolate tour and I, so i think he just was like recycling those lists but that's awesome maybe he just kept the text file and reused it every time right yeah 
That's funny. Speaking of uh, pros and whatnot, did you film with Greg Lutzka a lot back in the day? And uh, what was that like? You know, he's a very polarizing figure. But back then, he was just like this little dude who was amazing. He could do anything. And I've talked about this with my buddy a lot. And this is going to be the most sacrilegious thing for some people to hear. But early Lutzka, he skated almost exactly like Grant Taylor. The way he could skate transition and the way he skated street. If you see baby Lutzka footage compared to baby Grant Taylor footage, it's almost, it's uncanny. It's crazy. But anyway, going skating with him and filming him, he was just, he was kind of a little kid. So be like, hey, dude, can you lip slide that rail? I'll film it. Okay. And he could just do anything anytime you asked him. So he was I don't want to say it was a little puppet, but he was extremely talented and could do anything you asked him to do. And, you know, he was he was legitimate back then. You know, he got on crooked and all that. And then he moved away. And that was it for Greg Lutzka, I guess. Yeah, I remember seeing Greg Lutzka footage on on WI Skate. And I think he was riding for Elenium at the time. But I remember just being like, oh, shit, there's like this dude sponsored and on this website. That's so sick. He was crazy. I mean, he could do anything, anything. It was very most talented skater I've seen, you know, in person coming up. He was very good. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, dude was doing doing stuff that nobody was doing way before people are doing them now. Yeah. And uh, Josh, speaking of the great state of Wisconsin, tell us about Beer City. I just remember growing up, seeing their ads in the back of magazines, specifically Slap and Thrasher. And being fascinated by, number one, how cheap their boards were, but also the fact that I was just like, what's popping in Wisconsin that they got a board company that's, I mean, I didn't realize that, oh, okay, it's significantly cheaper to buy ads in the back of Thrasher. I was a little kid. Anyway, do you have any Beer City stories? And they're still around now, correct? Yep, still going strong. So the dude who runs it, Mike, he's super nice, super cool dude. But like, I never met him until way, way after the fact, like 2010. So he... Beer City and Mike was always a mystery to me as well. He would occasionally sponsor a Milwaukee rider, but he had Scott Smiley, who lives in Seattle or something like that. He's been pro for Beer City since like 93, and I think he still is. And then uh, you guys hear Tim Coolis. He's mm-hmm. a Milwaukee dude. He was pro yep. for Beer City like late 90s. But otherwise, it's always there, but at the same time, under the radar. So I don't have like that much accurate information about it for you to be honest i don't know why their boards were so cheap i wish i knew to tell you the truth it's just <laughs> they got the plug just, somehow in canada or something extremely monolithic thing that doesn't erode it's just there and you don't know why it's there it's just there i'm looking at their site right now and the prices are much more much more 2023 i mean the decks are running for 75 bucks you can buy an uncut. You can buy an uncut board, mellow concave double kick, for forty nine ninety five. So if you got a jigsaw and a bandsaw in your garage, you can you actually you can make your own shape out of it. Shape it up, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but back um, in the day, they were like twenty two bucks or something. They're really cheap. I, I've rode plenty of those. The eight ply beer city yep, boards. the hard. It was the hardcore eight ply. Hope they bring it back. Yeah, that'd be sick. Ideally, at the same price point, but I also understand that you're trying to run a business, you're trying to make 
at least some money here, and I imagine that they make more money off of the uh, the, the music side of, of Beer City because yeah, they're also yeah. a label, and I've definitely bought albums, bought tapes from bands that were either distributed by them or actually actually signed to them. So anyway, so Josh, like thinking about, I guess, thinking about the future, what do you project for the skateboarding internet? I don't have a good prediction. I, does it even really exist anymore outside of social media? I mean, I mean, we have quarter snacks, right? Yeah, it's what? a really small world these days. You know, yeah, it's like quarter snacks, Thrasher, free, a couple other like Jenkum, a couple other Euro. Uh, sites. Are there any any twenty year olds that are gonna sit down and say, "I'm gonna make a website for my skate crew"? I feel like it's, I... It, it's like you'd make an Instagram account or a YouTube channel or something like right, that. Right. You wouldn't make a website. There might be a, like a couple weirdos be like, "Hey, I heard they used to have." websites you ever hear of those let's make one for our weirdo skate crew but you're right it's all going to be on social media until yeah. it's not because you know something i've been thinking about and talking about a lot with a lot of friends who are musicians uh like me is like Bandcamp has been going through quite a bit over the last uh, year and a half they've been acquired and then sold and acquired the employees tried to unionize there's a real risk for a lot of these platforms that host the content the art the creative stuff that we put on them i mean Dog, MySpace, MySpace was it. It's been gone. My, been gone. It's like it's been gone. And there's a very good chance that a lot of the sites that we have are also going to be gone. And it almost feels like it's an act of preservation and long-term thinking to basically host it and do it yourself. Very similar to what Quarter Snacks or Thrasher are doing. I mean, I, even, you know, you look at Thrasher, the fact that Thrasher has a proprietary video player, which is genius. You know, I mean, it's kind of annoying sometimes you, you know, a lot of us have by instinct, we just run over to YouTube, but for Thrasher, you know, for a lot of their stuff, they premiered so that it was like, Hey, you have to come to our site and use our tools. And I think that's probably an extension of the fact that, you know, there's probably some really web savvy people, you know, who are Silicon Valley adjacent, who were helping to make those product, uh, product decisions when Thrasher was making the transition to also having a, a strong online presence. And I think that's the reason why they've become as dominant as they are because, you know, back when we were younger, like, let's keep it 100. Like, were any of you all Thrasher readers back in the day? Like, for me, it was like Slap and Transworld. I got them yeah. all. I had a subscription to all three. Yeah, I, I was yeah, like Thrasher. Yeah, train, more so Transworld over here, I think. Yeah. I, I had Thrasher, Slap, Big Brother, and Transworld subscriptions all going at once at one point so i had them all dude i still to this day i've only seen a handful of big brothers in real life like and back then rare as a hen's tooth my goodness the videos had those joints because they were genius and it was a lot easier to get them but it was hard to get a subscription to big brother but um anyway besides the point at least for me anyway yeah i guess i you know i'm really thinking about what's going to happen when these platforms eventually come to an end or people start migrating away from them or they change their terms of service because you know there's a lot of stuff that you put in skate videos just the music alone you run afoul of copyright issues you know that's the thing that prevents a lot of stuff from premiering or dropping so i guess i don't know i guess i, I really wonder if you know maybe there'll be some sort of like a renaissance that people decide i'm going to make my own blog i'm going to make my own skate site i mean it's it's very very easy significantly easier than say like when you started josh like shit <laughs> it is I don't disagree, and I hope that would come true, but I I don't feel very positive about the prospect. I wish it would, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be happening anytime soon. Yeah. Well, well, Patrick, what you're 
talking about has already started happening. Like a bunch of videos have disappeared from uh, Vimeo. There was an Adidas video that just disappeared from YouTube, you know, so shit's already started happening. And, you know, maybe one day Instagram will lose its uh, stranglehold on everyone's imagination and some new shit will appear or people will just go back to posting videos on blogs or whatever. Because it you could probably, not sure about the legalities or whatever, but it seems like it would be a way to evade the uh, the music issue at least for a while. Yeah, especially if you could if you could host the video yourself, you probably would be fine. You're not going to get hit with a cease and desist for using, you know, Seal Kiss from a Rose or something. Seal's not looking out for your proprietary video player, so you'd be right. okay. But would would the hosting costs like negate the uh, like? equal to the cost of licensing the song you know? i don't think i don't think it's an issue so much anymore you know back in the day hosting the video clips was crazy difficult you'd be hopping servers all the time and running over on bandwidth but now they're they'll give you as much bandwidth as you want it's not that expensive right you know the, inter- the internet has really grown since then true well you're you were an early innovator in a lot of ways uh you were the first skate blog that i know of that had a a mo blog this is like way before social media where you could send an email from your phone with a with a photo and somehow that photo would end up on the website like how did you come up with that idea um i don't want to say i invented instagram but it's like kind of the same thing right so uh, for some reason everyone in the crew had sprint phones remember the phone company sprint and we all had the early flip phones that you could take pictures with and I noticed you could email it. So I'm like, hmm, if I could email this picture to a specific email address, I could write a little program that would rip the photo out of the email and then it could automatically post it on a website. So I kind of messed around and I got it working eventually. So there's like maybe 10 people who knew the secret email address you could text a photo to and it would post on WSGate automatically. And this is in 2004, so you know, almost 20 years ago. I think you could even like put a little text too. Not sure. Yeah, God, you can be flashbacks. Actually, just out of curiosity, what kind of phones were y'all rocking in 2004? It was like I said, it was just like a Sprint flip phone that took photos. I think the resolution was like 640 by 480 or something crazy like that. Like Jesus. super bad, super bad quality. Maybe like a uh, like like a Motorola Razor. It was pre-Razor, I think. Oh, damn. I don't think Sprint had the Razor. Sprint was kind of like a budget budget carrier. Maybe they eventually got it, but we, yeah, the phones we had weren't Razors. It was it didn't even have a name. Just some Sprint thing. Nah, I had a I had a uh, a Nokia the candy bar or in in Ugandan English they called it Katorch, which means little torch <laughs> or little flashlight. That thing was yeah. indestructible. I wish I still had that joint, but yeah, I did not have a camera. That phone's that phone was amazing, though, because I didn't care about having it in my pocket. And I still think it's crazy that people skate with their phones in their pockets, like, on the regular. I can't do it. I can't do it. Did it the did the battery last, like, a month, too? Yeah, it only Dog. had to charge it, like, like Indes- every three weeks or something? Yeah. Indestructible. And also, um, I had one, um, you know, I had one where you could pop out the SIM. So it was great for traveling and going to visit relatives, uh, to visit relatives abroad. Um, I yeah. wish we could bring that shit back, because, like, there was something like, what am I doing most of the time when I'm out and about? It would be so much better to either be able to call people or to just text and be like, yo, I'm coming to this spot. Templeton, what about you? What, what phone did you have back in the day? 
pre-smartphone? Um, I, it was, you know, like a string of just like whatever, like the cheapest and or smallest phone available was. The first phone that I got that I was like fucking hyped on, it was like a Sony Ericsson phone. It was like half black, half silver. And my friend had one before me and it was the first camera phone I ever saw. And seeing him like turn the phone sideways and take a picture like a camera, I was like, oh shit, I, I need this. I, and like I got one, you know, like a couple weeks later. I think I know the one you're talking about is a T610. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, it, was, it was great. I, I wish I could go back, really. A lot of us wish we could go back. Like I said, like skating with your phone in your pocket sucks. And there's also like that permanent paranoia when you put your bag or your, your hip pouch, whatever, down, and someone's going to go rifling through your shit. And, you know, the idea of leaving your phone in your car, you're just like, hey, what if someone breaks into your shit, even if it's uh, whatever neighborhood? You never know. I don't know. Anyway, Jason, I know uh, you had something to say real quick. Oh, yeah. What was I going to say? Yeah, like the I had like the Motorola V60, which was that like silver clamshell one. And then the Razer, which was pretty dope. But then the BlackBerry came out. And it, was, it was over. It was a wrap. That thing, was, that thing has, you know, that um, for the federal government, for example, the BlackBerry was the gold standard because it was very, very, very secure because the private messenger there it was extremely difficult to hack. Uh, was it uh, yeah? Was it BB uh, BBM Black uh, BlackBerry Messenger, right? Yeah, yep. the pin it, it was via pin number. So you'd ask someone like, "Oh, what's your pin number?" Exactly. Like <laughs> that for, was crazy. Because <laughs> when the iPhone dropped, a lot of people wondered like, "When's you know when's the government gonna move over the iPhones?" And a lot of uh, government IT folks were just like, "Nah, BlackBerry is the fucking wave, man. We're staying with this." And I low key wish they did, because think of how different a world that'd be if I just be chilling like two phones. So you got the iPhone for the person, you got the BlackBerry for the for the job. Oh my goodness! Shit, two phones is even worse. <laughs> but it would be low key hype though. If one of them was a BlackBerry, people are like, oh man, he official. Yeah, yeah, that that would be a little bit of a stunt, I guess. Back to Wisconsin and uh, our esteemed guests, Josh Ellis. Not only did you kind of predict the future of um, the skateboard internet, I think the Bees series also kind of predicted the direction of skateboarding like what was your what was your involvement with those they were like kind of pre-internet viral videos these my friend russ clark from roselle illinois made those he's my friend i knew from i guess i'd say punk rock shows in chicago and then just skating you know in the northern illinois suburbs i met him around there and at that time that's when the america craze was going so everyone in Northern Illinois was, you know, wearing ladies jeans, very, very tight and only skating handrails. And Russ was just like, I want to make a video that's the exact opposite of this. So that's where bees came from. And I think sometimes he admits I made it just to be annoying. And other times he says, you know, he had a more altruistic, I want to change how skate videos are made type idea. But if he was here, he'd say something totally different. But he was just... A weird dude making a weird video, I guess, is the simplest explanation. So for those, I filmed, I don't know, quite a bit of it. And unfortunately for the viewers, I skated a lot in those. And back then, it sounds weird, but weird skating back then was like, I thought, hey, I'll do wallies off everything. And that was goofy back then. But now it's, you know, totally normal. 
So I don't, I'm not saying B's changed everyone's thought process on the fact, but if you go back and watch it now, it doesn't seem that weird. There's just some weird movie clips in there and some kind of goofy skating, but a lot of people liked it. I think just cause it was so different than, like I said, the America type videos that were coming out. And I think they could connect with it cause it was simpler skating. And they said, you know, Hey, I could go out there and be goofy too. This is fun. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. And like, I, I got a DVD burned of it from my friend who worked at Black Box and he was like, dude, you got to see this. And he like mailed a, mailed me a copy. So yeah, I think it probably did have an effect on the future of skating. In the, in the early distribution of these, I would burn copies and then take them to the bar with me and just hand them out to random bar patrons, like not even skateboarders, just random people. Imagine going home at bar time and watching bees when you're not even a skateboarder. Dude. It's fun to think about. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, like you, like, I'm sure that there's probably some crew of people who still hang out to this day. Just like, dude, remember that video that that guy gave us that time, you know, we were at that, that bar. Was some weird shit. Yeah. 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 It's like, you got that. So then like kind of like really <laughs> zooming out, Josh, um, something really important that you've done, like from a historical uh, archivist perspective is that you captured and you preserved a specific moment in skateboarding time and it's particularly important because it was around the time that there was a huge burst of noise you know content noise happening within the skateboarding space and i think that that's really important for a number of reasons and we've talked extensively about the importance of a culture of archiving and documentation if you could jump in the delorean and go back and do what you did with we skated any other era pre-broadband what would you want to capture what would you want to have the photos, the videos of to be able to bring back and to archive with the same sort of love and care that you did for folks around Milwaukee and the greater Wisconsin area? Do you just mean like pick anything anywhere? Any era, I, any any era, oh, any man. place where you could be like you'd be the art, you'd be the one who's going to be like you're going to take today's mindset of like we're filming everything. We're going to make sure stuff is documented. We're not going to skip a clip. And then I'll open the question up to, to Templeton and to Jason. That's a difficult one to choose. Man, so you know the world stuff was pretty well documented. Like Socrates captured a lot of that, right? Still release raw footage. Yep. I don't know. I would want to be involved in something like that, you know, where it has the big brother, naughty kids, catching all the hijinks, just doing bad shit. Not even really the skating so much because I feel like a lot of the skating was captured. But I guess you do read old interviews and like Guy Mariano's like, yeah, I did this crazy ass trick. No one filmed it. No photos. So it would be great to capture that kind of stuff as well. So oh, this, the switch trade down the double set. Any of that. There's got to be a hundred things, right? Sure. Cheap answer. Cheap answer. But that's what my mind jumped to right away is just. So you'd, you'd want to, you'd basically want to do a reality show about working at uh, the world headquarters and, uh, and in the park. Yeah, maybe I could get like a bunk bed in the uh, park and just camp out in there, set up some the, secret uh, cameras. Be be careful. I heard some pretty wild shit went down in them bunk beds. Yeah, let's <laughs> look out. Look at it, Jason. What about you? If you could, if you could go back with today's technology and today's thirst for content, what would, what place and time would you want to document to bring back? Oh well, I mean, y'all y'all know me. Uh, obviously, Embarcadero between I guess 1988 and 1994. I would, yeah, I would just love to see every every single trick that went down, every single like hijink, fights, all that shit. Yeah, I think for me it would be like Eastern Exposures three era, like Philly and New York. You know that that's kind of my shit. Like I'd love to be cruising through traffic with Ricky Oyola and you know doing all that shit. 
that that's where I would be. I think that stuff's a little bit under documented too, so that's a good good choice. I'd say Pulaski ninety two to ninety six because if any of you have watched like old Pepe Martinez, R.I.P. the Don, uh, or Andy Stone footage, god awful, like dreadful filming. Like I yeah, like, what was it filmed by a blind guy on a pogo stick? Is that what the, you said? Yeah. Underworld? Yeah, Underworld Element. It might be the pro video with the worst filming all time. Yeah. Or Sky Pager, <laughs> Sky Pager, right? Sky Pager and Fine Artist Volume One. Like Fine Artist Volume One has number one an ill soundtrack, right? Some of the best uh, in video graphics and just a vibe that is untouchable. But you get to Andy Stone and Pepe's parts, like you're just like, who the fuck filmed this? And yeah, the blind guy with the po- uh, pogo stick is from Fine Artist. It's um, it's Andy Stone's part. But even Andy Stone's stuff in when he was on 101, same thing. It's dreadful. Like I just. Especially because Freedom Plaza is such an iconic spot and probably one of the best spots on the planet right now and has been for a long time. Like, you have to, I mean, you have to wonder, like, how DC's, you know, how, how would DC's story would have been like if that period where everybody was filming everything, how would it, how, like, what DC's legacy would be like? Because, you know, by the time you get to, like, the 411 retrospective, where they have a bunch of stuff of MLK, like shit, like MLK was demolished not too long after that. Uh, that's at uh, Martin Luther King Library mm-hmm. in downtown DC. And there's not a lot of fo- good footage of that. And that's frustrating. And so it would be cool to get like Pulaski and MLK, which are not too far from each other. So that would be, that would be my choice. Well, I, I think we'd all be stoked if you could go and redocument some of that stuff. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Josh. As our esteemed guest, what are you stoked on this week? I just finished rewatching The Sopranos. I had never actually watched the final season, so I was in for a great treat, I guess I would say. I really like the ending. I know people hate on it, but I thought it was good. Nice. Uh, Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? So this week I'm stoked on Spitfire Wheels. I've been in the process of unpacking and moving. Well, actually been done with that for a bit, but haven't had much time to skate. Got to skate with the homeboy Bruce from Twitter, flew out from Texas. It was great to meet him, hang out with his whole Texas crew at the Atwater Village Costco curbs. I've been enjoying the SOTI discourse. Like this has felt like a quieter SOTI year for me. So I'm drawing my uh, entertainment from the discourse around it. Um, also last weekend, we hosted my parents. Uh, they came out to visit to see uh, our new house, which was super, super exciting. We chilled, watched soccer, took very long walks and hikes and ate a lot of really good food. And finally, I'm very, very stoked about the prospect of a serious antitrust lawsuit against Ticketmaster and Live Nation because fuck price gouging. Jason, what are you stoked on this week? Stoked on Venture Trucks out of San Francisco, California. Now they have the Venture Loose Trucks with a shorter top bushing for more uh, for more movement there. So if you're one of those uh, Ventures Don't Turn people, uh, you have no excuse. There's no excuse now uh, to not ride Ventures. Anyway... Also stoked on a video from out there in Prague. Them Stalin boys are at it again. Uh, there's a edit from Roman Lasivska's metronome brand called Pillars. Pretty sure it's all Stalin. It's 100% in my wheelhouse. Stoked on a new Closer magazine in my mailbox with the Jake Johnson interview. And we talked about, you know, appointment skate video viewing uh, along those lines. Stoked on the new Static 6 DVD, which I got over the weekend. I only watched all the way through once. Still uh, still digesting it, but it, it's way sick if you if you like the Static series and Josh Stewart's uh, work on this. Templeton, what are you stoked on this week? I'm stoked on a short documentary called The Shepherdess. 
It is uh, a documentary made for Element Europe, or I guess just Element now, um, but it chronicles kind of the, the life of Lois Pendlebury, who uh, is a former skater who now is a shepherdess in the French Alps, and it kind of unlocked a new dream job after skating for me. Like, how cool would it be to just hang out in the mountains with animals all day? That's definitely my vibe. Um, and I heard about it on the Skate Creative podcast. There's an interview with Lois and uh, Percy Dean, who made the video. So check that out. It'll all be linked in the show notes. That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostlyskateboarding.net for links to things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Uh, Josh, where can the people find you? Skate.com. There we go. All right, Jason, where can the people find you? Y'all can find me on the Twitter at Carbonite1994, on the Instagram at FrozenCarbonite, and writing stuff for Quartersnacks.com. Uh, Patrick, where can the people find you? Y'all can find me on Twitter under the handle at Colonel K Speaks. You can also find me on Instagram under the handle at P Kigongo. You can also find me doing cool stuff with the Harold Hunter Foundation. Templeton, where can the people find you on Bobby Digital's internet? You can find me on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding and on Twitter at Mostly Skate. We will see you guys next week. Actually, we won't see you next week. We'll see you uh, in the new year whenever, like first or second week. I don't know. I can't see my calendar right now. Yeah, have a happy holiday and all that stuff. This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The GK finds the sugar dimes, can't quit, what? Now pop the caucus, in the Vega and get lit, what? 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 Introducing Phantom of the Dark Walk through my heaven with levitation from reefers drenching deep as an Eve seven show bolting with Rugas flash vines Belafonte Jigger Let's get forward this work as we confiscate your figures Chasing over brown levitating Jiki and Dashiki Zilla Hada car 54 chasing diamond runners headed ice band The big chiller diamond convention Harlem Buck Strut Freezing world heights Hollywood Madam Butterfly Let me in your house a pleasure from the knuckle swatch Shadow boxes catching black eye blue I play the thief what? Sensations at the Monte Gauri screaming Chiba Fulfilling pleasures in my castle Blow the smoke out The Goss of Vegas substitutes When the Dutch is gone The load don't stop Give me shouts It's the season Sartayas Two flayers for swerving No corners We magnets to moolah Living with Charlie's angels on us No smiling with sliding That gets you caught up in the octa Or dead if we're moving It's just like that as we proceed Saturday night special You better take it light You Jaja You're a Capitan Quest to the coast The key logo Wire the chain gang Keep your ears out for a year, sip the fountain blue, house of bamboo, paradise. This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Gigi Vaz and Sugar Dimes can't quit, what? Now pop the caucus, Nina Vega, and get lit, what? This is it, what? This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Gigi Vaz and Sugar Dimes can't quit, what? Now pop the caucus, Nina Vega, and get lit, what? 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 Falling sparrows heard the seas of black Caesar that convinced us silky days satin nights taking flight down the lawn sweet sensation Spanish flying with the lady scarface face bottoms up sunshine love pushing and we hear from the magic city transcendent sweeter on your aura Fancini and London relaxation and Bora Bora got notion to bring it sing it never been my function stoning robbing we heisting merchandise and gunning love it leave it but bless the war chief for his bison get it got it the low will forever be nice and yeah 
yeah, the sunny fever, he be sipping on my red dye. Think he cheap gracious, he be sipping on my red dye. We float the trash, stay draped in the satin vines. This coolie hijack pack from the sugar shack. Then what we do after we sip the armor red dye? We start the Harlem River quiver, digging sweet daddy. Chopping the crimson blade, high Sierra serenade. Anatomy for seduction, be this yeah, ebony As junction. we exit the place with grace, just the armor rather the bursting of clouds it pours. Everything seems better on flats with love. We move only in the mess. It's slow, it's life, and we can't get enough yeah, of this. This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Jiki pops the sugar dimes, can't quit, what? Now pop the cork and see the vigor and get lit, what? This is it, what? This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Jiki pops the sugar dimes, can't quit, what? Now pop the cork and see the vigor and get lit, what? This is it, what? This is it, what?